Hey, Story Most Queer listeners, it's Leah. Hope you're all staying safe and sane inside of your homes uh, amidst this fun pandemic we got going on. Uh, I said fun. It's not fun. Um, Just a couple of quick things here at the top. First off, I wanted to remind you that Mischief Media has a Patreon. And if you would like to support us, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash making mischief. And when you get there, you'll see we have all sorts of tiers. If you're just looking to chip in a little bit and help support us during these trying times, uh, you can do that. We have levels that include things like bonus content or uh, a Discord where people are in there and chatting with one another. Uh, Lots of really great recipes being shared right now for everyone stuck at home who is more used to maybe going out than not. People talking about what they're gaming, sharing their Animal Crossing handles. Is that what it is? A handle? And I guess very quickly... um, I typically try to space out the amount of time I have in between uh, narrating stories myself, since you hear my voice constantly during this podcast. Uh, Hope you enjoy it. Um, But like everyone else, we're all sort of uh, homebound at the moment. And so the options for recording people uh, have been for the past few weeks and will continue to be a little bit more difficult. Uh, And so as such, I'm, I'm back again. Hope you don't mind too much hearing me so often, but uh, I just wanted to explain. Typically, I try to give it more birth uh, in between being the narrator, but um, circumstances change. Uh, Yeah, again, hope you're all safe and healthy as you can be. Keep on social distancing, and and thanks for listening. Today's story contains body dysmorphia and talk of dieting. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to A Story Most Queer, where every week we bring you a new story about queer characters and lifestyles, written by queer authors, narrated by queer voices. Pocket-sized queer stories for everyone. A Story Most Queer is brought to you by Mischief Media. Today's story is The Other Women, written by Emily Shapiro, read by Leah Cornish. It isn't easy being two women in one, but of course, all of us are. As the doctor inserts the sperm, my abdomen cramps, and I hold my breath. In no time, she tells me she's nearly finished. I look down at my belly and picture it growing. In my imagination, it all happens unrealistically quickly, like a time-lapse of something decomposing on the Nature Channel. The key difference being that instead of getting smaller and smaller, I will get bigger and bigger. This is what I'm most afraid of. It isn't the actual birth or the loss of sleep or the strain in my relationship that gives me pause when I think about having a child. It's losing touch with my body, my second body. Because we all have two bodies. I believe this the way a child believes in Santa Claus. Just like Santa, my second body is perfect and almost plausible. Just like leaving cookies and milk on a plate I do things just for her. My hand is squeezed, and I look at it only to be reminded that Sean is here also, smiling at me and asking if it hurts. I shake my head, and the doctor says she's nearly done, and I want to remind her that she just said that. This other body of mine wasn't always so present. She crept up on me like a child sneaking up behind her parent, pinning her fingers to her lips when you see her coming. It was so subtle that by the time I noticed, she'd already been here for a long time. I don't know how long it's been now. All of my adult life, probably well before, whenever it was that I began to feel contained, 
This is the effect my second body has on me. She reminds me where the outlines of my thighs are compared to hers, how much longer I should jog in order to feel closer to her, because really I'm just desperate for a kind of closeness with her. More than closeness, really. I want to be her. I want to do things for her. Half the clothes in my closet are for her. Most of my New Year's resolutions, too. Sometimes, when the light is just right or I've been sick, I look in the mirror and I think I can see her, feel like maybe we've finally found common ground, like I don't have to be two women in one anymore. But that never lasts long. Sean doesn't get it. You're beautiful like this, Julia, Sean says when I stand in front of the mirror in our bedroom a little too long. I shrug. There we are says the doctor, pulling her hand out from between my legs. I think it's all over, but then she says, Nearly there. Earlier today, before Sean and I were trying to get pregnant in an examination room, my assistant Karen said she'd started a new diet. I asked her which one, and when she told me, I nodded. I'd never heard of it. Later, while sitting at my desk... I looked up from the proposal I was reading and saw Karen at her desk outside the open door. Karen isn't overweight, but I tried picturing the woman she'd like to be. This is how obsessive I've become. I imagined cutting pieces of Karen away, chopping her up to just the good bits, the right sizes. Curves where there are supposed to be curves, angles where there should be angles. In a sense, I got a glimpse of that other woman the one I know Karen sees. I was sitting like this, staring, when Karen turned around. I tried to smile, but I had this weird sense that Karen knew what I was doing, knew that my look wasn't admiring, but rather erasing. Can I get you something? She asked me. I shook my head and told her I was just lost in thought. I laughed again, apologized. I shut the door. People somehow always seem to sense when they are being watched. On the bus to and from work, I'm constantly getting caught staring. I've caught others looking at me, too. It's this odd tickling in my neck or lower back. Nine times out of ten, I'll turn and meet eyes with an onlooker. It's as if our staring casts some kind of translucent fishing line, and if our eyes linger too long, the person we're looking at senses the hook. Maybe that sounds like a metaphor, but I genuinely believe in invisible things. I'm not religious or spiritually inclined, but as a woman, half of my aches and pains are due to unseen, inexplicable causes. I don't know what I believe about God or death, but I'm certain that there are things we can't see that are there. A part of me wanted to tell Karen this. Instead, I told her I had a doctor's appointment. She asked if I'd be coming back, and I shook my head. I bet she left ten minutes after me. Before Karen went on a diet, and before this appointment where Sean is holding my hand, and the doctor keeps telling me she's nearly done, it was August, and I walked across the patient parking lot alone. There had been no time to shower at the end of Zumba, and I still wore capri-length leggings. When the receptionist took my copay, he asked if I needed water. I'd really gone for it in class. With the reggaeton blasting, everyone had watched their reflected selves in the floor-to-ceiling mirror. We gyrated and sweated and tried to make it look sexy. 
I had watched myself too, but mostly I had been focusing on all the other women. Not the red-faced ones surrounding me, but their doubles. I could almost see them, lined up at the back of the class in their spandex free of sweat stains. I felt certain of their presence. All of our second bodies were waiting. Not a single one of them had salsa'd or boxed the air with us. They didn't have to. We had done it for them. I told the receptionist water would be good, and he pointed to a drinking fountain near the restroom and gave me a clipboard with some paperwork to fill out. Wiping the cold water from my chin as I took a seat, I glanced at the other people waiting and tried to guess what had brought them in. There was a young woman who may have had a skin rash reading People magazine across from me. The celebrity on the cover was someone I recognized but couldn't name. She wore a swimsuit, and the words, I have no regrets, were quoted in white lettering next to her. The pen the receptionist had given me was out of ink, so I pulled one of my own out of my bag and began filling out the forms I had been given. It was like acing a test. I knew every answer, every birth date and allergy. Then I got to the questions with a larger blank space below them for more long-winded responses. The first question was, what brings you in today? It had been the month prior, sometime in July, when Sean had told me she'd like to start a family. I hadn't been expecting that. It's not like the two of us ever agreed not to have kids, but we had met late. I'd been 42 when we got married, and even a wedding felt vaguely immature at that age. We were on our way home from a movie when she had said it. At the time, I'd figured it was the effects of the film. Hollywood has a way of making you feel like you're not leaving a big enough mark behind. Sean can be susceptible to such things. Don't movies make everyone want a different kind of family? I remember laughing at Sean and telling her this. I started to write out a response, but then crossed it out. This waiting room, the celebrity in her swimsuit on that magazine, my spandex capris on the plastic furniture, it all felt so unnatural. Writing anything beneath that question made it too real. Leaving a blank felt like the most honest response. All of Sean and my conversation summed up by two inches of white paper without text. People used to love to ask my previous girlfriends and me which of us would have the kids if we ever got pregnant. I always read the question as a veiled attempt to find a man in our relationship, as if kids would tease some kind of straightness out of us. My response was typically very noncommittal. I'd say we didn't want kids or that things weren't that serious. But I thought about it every time. It seemed so clear. Even the people who asked already seemed to know. The one getting pregnant was never going to be me. And yet, there I was. Just by sitting in that waiting room, I was filling in the blank space. I had made that appointment and followed the nurse to the back when she called my name and traded my clothes in for a backless gown and stood on the overly precise scale and talked about mature pregnancies with my doctor all because Sean didn't have a uterus to call geriatric. After two run-ins with potentially cancerous cells and several cysts, she had had the organ retired. It was an emotional procedure, but none of the fear or loss at the time had felt related to progeny. 
That evening in July, after the movie, had changed things, though. A new kind of tragedy seemed to have emerged for Sean. It was difficult to take seriously at first. I'd never known her to have any desire for children, and I'd felt skeptical of why it was appearing now. But the topic appeared again and again. Weeks after the movie, we were still arguing about make-believe babies. Sean would say that it felt like I didn't believe her, didn't believe she could change her mind. She would say I wasn't listening. At first, I would try to remind her of all the things we'd chosen to do instead of having kids, but Sean would grow quiet or insist that her body had never given her that choice. That's when it dawned on me that all of our arguments were really just a way of asking a question. In a sense, it was simple. I had what Sean wanted. Giving my wife what she desires, especially when it pertains to my body, has always felt erotic. But what she was asking for this time was too tangible to feel sexy. My uterus became the elephant in every room. It had given me a kind of power, which felt ironic because when had that ever been the case? But, with more and more arguments... Sean had brought up the topic of children less and less. As a result, the dynamic between us changed. Our relationship felt newly scripted. In the grocery store one Sunday, I watched Sean turn into an aisle and then walk backwards away from it like she was stepping back from the heat of something dangerous. Above the end cap, a sign read, Aisle 2, Cereal, Cereal Bars, Baby Food, Tea. She didn't say anything to me about this. She just did it and then walked over to produce and began squeezing avocados, asking me when I thought we'd eat them. I wondered how many other things Sean wasn't letting herself go near now. I'd always thought that having children was selfish, but somehow Sean had flipped that. Was I the reason my wife couldn't shop an aisle too? It felt cruel. As we packed our groceries into the backseat of the car, I told her I'd see what the doctor said. I think this is why the other woman has been so insistent in her stalking lately. It's all this talk about getting pregnant, about altering my body. I may as well be 20 again, or even 17, an age when I couldn't let the idea of a better version go. Not that I've ever really let that go, but this is different. In addition to the annoyance I feel about my waistband, I also feel a sense of impending loss, because what will happen to the girl I want to resemble if I let another grow inside of me? I imagine she'll start to seem impossibly distant. Maybe I won't even recognize myself in her after all the weight of childbearing fastens itself around me, boa constricting the other woman out. It feels selfish to be thinking about her at a time like this, but isn't it always? When I came back from the initial doctor's appointment in August, Sean had made me dinner. We chatted while she cut the white meat from a rotisserie chicken and placed it onto my plate. Did she say what the odds of that are? Sean asked as I searched for a bottle opener in one of the kitchen drawers. I remember telling her every grim thing from the appointment. I told her about chromosomal abnormalities and stillbirths. I told her how miscarriages often destroyed relationships and that we'd be nearly 70 by the time our child left home. I told her that this fact seemed to put my life, our lives, in fast forward 
made death seem that much closer. Then I offered her a glass of wine and reminded her that I wouldn't be able to drink either. Sean just nodded. She wiped her mouth with her napkin and looked at her plate as she told me having a kid would make her feel young again. But I looked at the stringy breast meat on my plate and wondered how anything I just said could make her feel young. I may never have the same body again, I whispered. Sean looked at me, and for a second I thought she understood. That maybe she really did have a second body after all. That maybe that second body was standing right behind me, and that Sean was looking at her rather than me. But then she asked, How can you be worrying about that of all things? How can you not? I wanted to ask. Because honestly, I've always wanted to know how to live the way Sean does. She was finishing her second helping of rice, and I was calculating how many calories that was. I couldn't help it. It was probably close to 500. Enough to feel irreversible. I took a bath after dinner, and when the water cooled, I pulled the plug with my toes but didn't get out. I tried to remember how this all had started. Was it really that movie we went to? Maybe if Sean wasn't so certain, I might not be so uncertain. Maybe getting pregnant would allow me to think less of my second body. But, she seemed to be whispering in my ear, what would happen without me? I let myself imagine. Would I become one of those mothers who are so selfless that their actual physical selves balloon, as if to show just how big, how endless, how overwhelming it is to give that much of yourself away? The drain of the tub was steadily stealing my buoyancy, reminding me of my full weight. I've always loved the way I feel in water. Gravity is cruel, but water, especially when salty, holds every piece of me up as if it's complimenting me. Months passed, and every week felt more valuable to Sean, like the full weight of lost fertility hung in the brevity of a single day. One morning, while we waited for the French press to steep, I told Sean that I was worried. At that point, I wasn't talking about my body anymore. She couldn't understand it. So I talked about motherhood. It's just, I think I could be a pretty decent dad, but I know I will be a horrible mother. She looked up at me and smiled. You don't have to be the mom. I can do that. She pushed the filter on the press down. Or we can swap. That's what's so great about two moms. You can be whatever you want. But I tried to explain. Clearly, I couldn't be whatever I wanted. Surely she could see that. Here, baby. I looked up at that word, but she was only offering me a mug of coffee. Babies began to occupy my mind at all times. Babies and my body. I asked the HR department at work about the company's policies regarding maternity leave, grasping for something decisive, but their response was almost too good to believe. Anyways, it was too late. I had promised. I had seen the doctor. I had watched the way Sean avoided anything baby-related. The heartbreak of it had set things into motion, and there was no slowing down. Like that first nibble of chocolate, so small it doesn't count. 
Now here I was with only a quarter of the bar remaining. I went to more and more exercise classes at the gym, and we scheduled an appointment for the insemination. My second body was everywhere now, fiercer than ever before. I couldn't eat without feeling her watching me. Her shape had always been clear, but now I could see her eyes, the way they resembled mine, only brighter, hotter, almost scalding. She wanted to watch everything now, inserted herself into every conversation, every thought. It became difficult to discern which ideas were mine and which were hers. On the afternoon of the appointment, Sean picked me up from work. It was raining, and I hadn't been able to go for a run that morning. I looked out the window and saw her there. My second body jogged beside the car, glaring at me through wet glass. She looked beautiful, all damp and muscular and so full of rage. I turned my head away from her to look at Sean in the driver's seat, then back at the version of me that was keeping pace outside the car. Back and forth, I shook my head like a little kid gesturing no. I was choosing between the two of them. Or maybe she just planted that idea in my head. Did she see an obstacle in Sean, or did I? We pulled into the parking lot, but my second body wouldn't enter the property. She was waiting on the sidewalk with her hands on her narrow hips. What are you looking at? Sean asked me. I looked at my wife. It seemed impossible that she couldn't see her. But of course, she never has. As we entered the waiting room, I looked back through the automatic doors to see if she was still there on the sidewalk. What if she was gone when we came back out? Where would she go? For a moment, that thought was relieving until I imagined my body without hers. But it couldn't be that easy. She'd never disappear completely. Even if my body transformed into something unrecognizable, her body would find a way of taking a new form too. She'd be there in the resentment I'd inevitably feel towards Sean. In my search for her and her body, I'd latch myself onto my wife instead, blame Sean for my disappointment, for my stretch marks, and my need for new clothes. Sean took my fingers in her left hand and squeezed as she filled out the paperwork the reception had given us with her right. I looked at her again. It had always felt so good to love her. I looked out the window at that shadow in the rain on the sidewalk. I didn't want anything to change. All right. The doctor is looking at me. We're all done now. Thank you for listening to A Story Most Queer. Today's story was The Other Women, written by Emily Shapiro, read by Leah Cornish. This episode was edited by Leah Cornish. Our outro music is Round Daytime by Paratune. If you like the show, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on your podcast app of choice. You can follow us on social. We are A Story Most Queer on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you would like to submit a story, head over to astorymostqueer.mischiefmedia.com to read over our FAQs and fill out the form. Remember to check out our Patreon community. You can join us at patreon.com slash makingmischief. Thanks again for listening. 
We'll see you next week for another Story Most Queer.